0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. Today, our guest is Nancy Long, who is the executive director at 501 Commons. Nancy, thank you for being the guest today.
1: Thanks for having me, Stephen.
0: This is really great. And I've really appreciated our prior discussions, um, you know, about everything nonprofit related. I know you have a ton of experience, so it's it's really an honor to have you today. Do me a favor, why don't you share with us um, the, the mission of 501 Commons, talk a little bit about its history, and, and why are you passionate about the work that you all are doing?
1: Uh, great, uh, great topic. I uh, always love to talk about our history and our purpose. So uh, 501 Commons is a nonprofit that supports the success of other nonprofits. We do that by amplifying their strengths uh, with the ultimate goal to be improving life for people and communities uh, uh, that the nonprofits uh, serve. And um, the way that we do that amplification of nonprofit strengths is through um, providing expertise in finance, technology, data systems, HR, uh, management consulting and uh, fundraising and other other related areas. So that is obviously a very wide <laughs> mission. Um, we uh, provide services both uh, in a consulting uh, mode so uh, projects that have a start middle and finish and also ongoing services or what's often called back office services in finance tech data systems and HR. Um, and the way that we are put together is a reflection of the way that our nonprofit sector is put together. Uh, so nonprofits typically have budgets under a million dollars. Um, at that level, they have primarily program staff, and uh, you know, often an executive director and executive uh, leadership uh, team, and um, and rarely do they have anyone on staff that has expertise in areas like finance or HR or technology or data systems. Uh, But they need that expertise to be really successful in their mission. And most nonprofits will stay small. They're not just early stage small, they're they're small for for their whole lives. And so we can come in and provide um, a fractional uh, FTE uh, expert who can be their HR person, be their uh, tech person and so forth. Um, and so our growth uh, and development has reflected that response to those needs in our, uh, in our sector, both the breadth of topics and the way in which we uh, provide uh, services. We are also the sponsor of a statewide fundraising event called Give Big uh, Washington, uh, which is happening uh, next week on the 3rd and the 4th. Um, so we're super excited right now and right. Charged Up because... Last year we raised about $17 million uh, overall in, in uh, donations and in-kind and match. And um, so it's, um, they're really big days for, uh, for our state of Washington.
0: That's awesome. Tell us, I don't want to get too off topic because there's some specific things I want to talk about um, related to um, just kind of the current state of the nonprofit industry. And to, I want to get into the, the wage report and study that you all had put together. Um, but I'm curious, on the giving days, How approximately how many years has, has this one been been running in the state of Washington?
1: This is, I think, the 13th year um, uh-huh. for this one. We took it on in uh, 2019 from um, a, our local community foundation, the yep. Seattle Foundation. And um, so it's one of the longer, uh, you know, lasting giving days in mm-hmm. the country and one of the larger ones. Um, and then when we took it on, we made it statewide. Uh, types of uh, For us, um, it's great to raise that money. It's money that nonprofits need, comes mid year. It's unrestricted funds. All of that is good, good, good. But it's also very much a, a pathway for teaching nonprofits about fundraising. Mm -hmm. Um, and online fundraising in many ways is the easiest kind of fundraising to uh, get good at and to exceed at, but it provides a base for organizations to really learn about stewarding donor relationships and building donor um, uh, confidence in their uh, organization and so forth. So we see it as part of our capacity building mission, um, as well as just a great opportunity to put some dollars in the pockets of um, uh, over 1,500
0: organizations in our state. That's amazing. Um, I'm curious, like for you to comment. There's certain trends, you know, that that happen, and we work with organizations across the country. And one of those trends that has been really interesting to me are the giving days. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, what was it like before that existed? If you if you take it back, and and then right now, I mean, I think people are sort of familiar with them and, you know, we have them here in Austin, other cities in Texas. Um, yeah, I've, I've been involved in the Austin one. I've, I've been involved uh, and, and know the folks that run the San Antonio one. So that's been really interesting. Um, but can you take us through, I mean, why were these initially created and it seems kind of so obvious now, and they've had a lot of success, but I mean, what do you think went into that?
1: The Allen Foundation's uh, motive for doing it, as they, as they described it, really was a capacity building motive, and it's uh, very much to their credit that they you know, saw uh, that online fundraising was emerging, um, and uh, that organizations, at that, at that point when they started, most organizations didn't have any conception about how to use social media to attract, uh, you know, retain and, um, and educate uh, potential donors, and so um, they wanted to uh, help organizations learn about online giving in particular, and um, and the techniques of social media. Uh, the social media part has come up just because it's you know it's in our culture, right? Um, so there's not a lot of um, a lot of need at the at least the kind of beginning level to teach people about social media now, although the more sophisticated strategies and the more strategic use of social media is still um, an important growth area for nonprofits. Um, but but I think what they saw was uh, that government funding was t- tending down at that period. We're in a period of high government funding right now, but that won't last for long. And most of that funding is going to a very small part of the nonprofit. Uh, community. And, um, and as an organization, as a community foundation that raises money itself, and then puts that money out in grants, they understand that grant funding is not dependable for nonprofits. They understand the challenges of fundraising, even though they're doing it in the kind of deeper end of the pool with larger uh, donors. Uh, so I think there was, on their part, there was a um, capacity building uh, motive uh, behind them getting into it. And so similar when it came to us, that's, that's our primary connection with it. Just helping people understand that something like a giving day is not a lottery ticket. You don't just put up your page and sit back and wait for the dollars to roll in. You have to be engaging with donors. And of course, the big thing in online giving right now is peer-to-peer fundraising. So where you get you know, five people passionate about your mission to go out and talk to their network. And they're able to bring in new donors because they obviously know people who are not yet connected uh, to the organization. And during the pandemic, the ability of giving days to bring in, in our case, about 20% of the donations are first-time donations. And so the ability of giving days to bring in those new donors has been critical because you're not throwing, you know, backyard barbecues and you're not. Having walkthroughs your, with your facility, you're not just kind of casually running in to people that you can, you know, uh, be, help build into uh, a donor uh, relationship. Um, so they've been very, very critical during uh, during the last two years.
0: That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that. Speaking of the last two years, I know that um, 501 Commons more recently put out the King County... Nonprofit Wage and Benefits Survey. Uh, Can you talk to us about that? And just in general, what what have you learned and how are you uh, communicating that? And then therefore, you know, working to help the organizations that you serve find solutions.
1: Yes. So first of all, your audience can find this survey report and data by um, going to 501commons.org and just in search, put in putting people first, putting people first. And that will take you to a page that talks about this project, but links to the project report, which has uh, compensation information for 171 salaries uh, from 230 organizations, which is one of the larger salary surveys in our country. Uh, But most exciting, there's a web page that gives you a searchable uh, way to look at the data, to compare multiple jobs and look at the compensation data across uh, those jobs, that is valuable and really groundbreaking um, for the sector because many nonprofits, because they are small, have kind of combo jobs. You know, so somebody will be the finance slash office manager slash volunteer manager. And so when you're trying to create a fair fair, uh, compensation strategy for those kinds of positions, you actually have to look at multiple positions and kind of weight the um, salaries to match the kind of job that somebody has. Um, so we, the, the data is really important. And while it's King County data, it comes from our largest county in Washington state, which includes uh, Seattle and uh, Bellevue, the um, a major population center in Washington state. I think it is very much in line with um, other, at least coastal cities, in terms of the wage level. Um, We have a little bit more pressure on tech jobs in our area, probably than in other in some other areas. But basically, other kind of coastal cities, larger cities with, you know, uh, higher labor markets, um, can probably use that, that information with some reliability, and others could discount it if you tend to have a lower you know, wage level than our King County area, you could, you know, the relative salaries would still be relevant, but you could discount it. Um, So in addition to that, there's an analysis um, that looked at the impact of COVID on uh, nonprofits. No surprises that there looks very much like the national impact studies with the uh, arts and culture sector being hardest hit uh, in our, in our community. Uh, But there's some interesting information there about who's, Really been hit hard, and those that have uh, that have actually seen upticks in funding uh, through uh, uh, through the pandemic. There's an analysis around executive director compensation uh, and uh, benefits, and that's uh, important because boards are required under IRS rules to look at some comparative information when they set executive uh, salaries, and a lot of boards are not doing that. Um, And so pulling our study and other studies from around the country could could be helpful to uh, boards. Um, And there's a a whole analysis of benefit offerings uh, that provide some interesting information um, uh, as well as compensation practices. We have far to go in our sector in terms of formalizing the way that employees are paid and the way that pay levels are set. Uh, there's a lot of just finger to the wind kind of uh, setting of salaries in our sector or just getting by with the lowest salary we can possibly uh, pay to conserve resources, paying people slightly above what they were paid at their last job and so forth. The laws are starting to um, really tighten around compensation practices uh, in our country in general with greater requirements around uh, pay equity based on gender and sometimes race. In our state, it's uh, right now focused on, uh, we have a pay equity law that focuses on gender that requires a lot of discipline in how organizations set pay and how they look at comparable pay across uh, their organization. So we're trying to really lift up these practices in the sector. Many times while we may think that we are you know, the more kind and benevolent sector, Many times, nonprofits are actually um, uh, implementing very pay, uh, very poor uh, compensation practices, um, and practices that leave them vulnerable to uh, to lawsuits. And worse yet, uh, because it has a broader impact, uh, practices that reduce the loyalty of their staff to their organization. Uh, you know, right now, everybody knows there's you know, difficulty in in finding employees. Uh, We have a tight labor market. Nonprofits are getting hit very hard by that to the level that there are nonprofits that are very close to closing their doors um, because they can't find employees. And there are definitely many nonprofits that are providing less service than they have been able to provide in the past because they simply don't have the staff to deliver the services. So it's time for us as a sector to wake up and improve our pay practices, improve pay, which means taking our case to our donors, uh, to to philanthropy and to government um, actors that are uh, setting contract rates uh, and getting more money into the sector so that our pay can be more equitable with the other parts of our sector, like government, philanthropy, and health and education.
0: I greatly appreciate you sharing all this, and I am in total agreement with you um, in, in terms of what you're sharing and what what needs to change. A um, wh- question I have for you is that a lot of donors, and I, I think it's changing as each year goes by a bit more and more, but a lot of donors look at an organization, And they really care how many cents out of every dollar that they give is going towards the mission. And so it just sort of occurred to me that I've seen different organizations message it, but being in the position that you're at, at 501 Commons and this kind of organization serving all these others, do you ever do or engage in sort of like PSAs or more like broad ways to sort of educate donor base of like why these salaries need to be higher and why more spending needs to go you know towards that versus just the mission
1: yes yes um well very good question um we are doing more of that with this data in hand it helps to have data when you're telling sure uh we do that through our participation in uh give big and our statewide giving day uh and we do definitely we message out I think about the strengths of our sector. Um, we're a very resilient sector. When you consider how little government funding went into the nonprofit sector, it's amazing that we didn't lose, you know, 30% of the organizations. But people buckle down, they conserve, they uh, bring in volunteers. You know, there's a lot of strategies that nonprofits use that sort of get them through to another day. And, you know, nonprofits survive year after year some of them for as much as 100 years that when you look at their budgets in the beginning of their budget year you think how is this organization ever going to make it and yet they do year after year after year it's it's pretty miraculous and similarly with with uh, during covid at least in our state there was almost no support for nonprofits while there was tons of support that went out to businesses the state took the position that businesses were valuable to save and support, but nonprofits were not. And um, funded you know, in the arts area, because that was the hardest hit and the best organized, but funded very little in, in, other, um, in other areas. Um, and so I think that we do try to give that voice to the sector to both the resilience of the sector, but also resilience in the face of really structural problems and how we fund nonprofits. We are culprits in that. So the problem that you're talking about, about sort of telling donors that, you know, 100% of your donation is going to go to, you know, the direct service to um, the client or recipient, that's a lie. (laughs) That is an absolute lie. And it shouldn't be told. And we should stop saying that stuff. And we should educate donors because money doesn't do the work. People do the work. And you know, behind every program, there are people. Even if those people are volunteers and much of our sector is still driven uh, by, um, by volunteers, it takes some resources to support those volunteers and it takes some administrative structure to make that volunteering uh, efficient and effective. Uh, so nonprofits need to start educating donors, philanthropy and government Um, so that we can get these practices changed. You know, government will competitively bid services to support their computers, to, you know, care for grounds for government buildings, uh, you know, to um, provide services that they need to do maintenance and so forth. But with a nonprofit, they put out uh, uh, proposals where they set the rates and the nonprofits can take it or leave it. And there's no reason why there should be a difference in how contracts uh, to nonprofits are handled versus contracts to businesses. Uh, and nonprofits are going to have to band together and walk away from some of these contracts because government's getting away with paying, you know, 40 percent of the cost of the service. Um, and there just isn't that other invisible force out there that's picking up the rest of the 60 the percent. Um, so it's no longer reasonable um to sort of tolerate those kinds of contracting processes.
0: That's pretty unbelievable. I never really was aware of this, but I guess that's part of the show and getting to meet leaders like yourself. So thank you for, for, for sharing it. And I hope that there is improvements. Um carrying that forward, I'm curious what I you know, one of the questions I like to ask is what do you think are some of the best practices to run a financially stable organization? One of the things that that I heard that I really appreciated, you know, I hadn't given given much much thought to, um, you know, the importance of a board in terms of them um, setting the compensation and trying to use other, you know, peer nonprofits as a guide to figure out. Can you actually talk? Can we focus a little bit on that? I mean, what what is what is really like the role of the board there, especially? Um, not just in a qualitative way, but maybe like how the IRS views it or kind of the the um, fiduciary responsibilities when it comes to compensation in the board.
1: So IRS does require that boards when they set executive salaries, so the salaries that they are responsible for, which usually is just the executive salary, um, that boards um, uh, investigate what the pay levels are for similar organizations. Mm-hmm. So- similar fields, similar size, similar budget, and, and um, uh, supervision uh, responsibilities, and uh, set a salary for their uh, executive or executives that is um, on par with those, um, uh, with, you know, with the data that they gather through that uh, process. It's interesting, <laughs> this goes back to the kind of the way that our country views nonprofits, it's interesting that that's how government chooses to, you know, intervene in nonprofits mm-hmm. is by limiting the salary of the executives. There's no such um, provision around a business. But with nonprofits, um, you know, you have to stay on par with your um, with your competitors. If there is a difference, you need to be able to justify that difference. Um, and, you know, whether the IRS is ever going to ask you to justify another question, but the the law does require that there be competitive information gathered and uh, and some justification for the salary that is um, offered. Um, Yeah, I think the the, to your question about the um, way the best practices in terms of financial practices, one of them goes back to this issue of um, how we tell our story to donors and Um, how we increase pay. Many nonprofits don't understand the full cost of services. Um, And so they will write a grant asking for the funding to provide the program, uh, including only the cost of program staff, maybe not including including taxes and benefits uh, that they have to pay those staff, maybe not including the program overhead, the direct kind of program management, almost always not including the overhead costs, the rent, the um you know overall management of the organization, the cost of utilities, and so forth. And so we are underrepresenting the true costs of the services that we are essentially selling to uh to funders. Uh and so we're kind of creating the problem for ourselves by doing that. Uh, and And not understanding the full cost of services means that you can also get yourself in trouble by taking program grants that outstrip your organizational capacity and create problems in being able to um, actually deliver on the grant. One of the reasons our county was interested in the wage and benefit study is they were seeing this pattern where organizations would start to really get traction on their program outcomes. And then there would be turnover. Uh, And that turnover would take talent and knowledge out of the organization and the program outcomes would fall. And so if we're not able to offer stable employment and employment where people can grow in their careers and advance their uh, their knowledge and their professional standing, get higher pay um, as they have a longer tenure in the field, we're going to be constantly losing that talent and, um, and the knowledge that really powers the effectiveness of the services that we we offer. Uh, It's really important that we find a way to engage across this country in a conversation about improving pay uh, in the nonprofit sector, because our communities are highly dependent on the services that nonprofits uh, provide and government is highly dependent on the services that uh, nonprofits provide. Government assigns a lot of important roles to nonprofits and then somehow just expects it to be, to work out. Um, and it's not working out. It's, it's. I really believe we are going to start to see, you know, major structural damage and failure in the nonprofit sector, despite our historic uh, resilience, uh, unless we intervene and change the way the sector is is funded and the way the sector operates internally around compensation.
0: Well said. How are you, how do you champion that? I mean, what you're doing in in the state of Washington is awesome. Are there ways that knowing that this is just a a national issue that you um, work, work on behalf with other state associations or state organizations?
1: We're just starting that process. And certainly Being with you today, Stephen, is part of that. I appreciate the Mm -hmm. opportunity to talk about these issues, and I welcome people to contact me if this is an issue that they, you know, see as a a, a common cause.
0: Sure. Well, that's how I see it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um, So, you know, this will it will take all of us um, stepping forward. It will take some innovation in practices, um, and it will take getting the attention of these other uh, parts of the sector uh, to, to make any kind of a change happen. And so, um, yeah, we are um, we work in about 25 states in any one year. So we have service relationships throughout the country. We have some partnerships with other uh, organizations that do similar work as, as we do in capacity building uh, throughout the country. Um, and we work with, uh, uh, in terms of the uh, wage study, we worked with uh, Nonprofit Compensation Associates, which is the, the organization that has done most of the wage studies around the, around the country. So uh, Rita Heronian who's the consultant that we worked with, with uh, Nonprofit Compensation Associates, uh, is herself a, a wealth of information and somebody who um, you know, can, can share a lot of information with people uh, uh, through the wage studies that... She's done in Northern and Southern California in the past um, in New England and other other states. Um, So they've done more than 50 studies. So that's one of the places to start. I would recommend that uh, you take the example we have of trying to interest government or funders in providing the underlying funding to do a wage study in your community. Um, And then that gives you data to talk about um, our city is actually, Seattle is also doing a study that compares nonprofit human services wages to for-profit uh, wages for similar type of positions. That will be interesting. And as far as I know, that's a first of its kind um, kind of study. Um, I think that the sector needs to take the position that when we look at comparisons, we're looking not so much at nonprofit to for-profit as nonprofit to the other parts of the nonprofit sector, government, philanthropy, most of education, most of of healthcare, because those are the fields that we lose employees to. Um, We lose some to to, uh, business for sure, but most of the draw uh, for people who enter the nonprofit sector often earlier in their career, they go off to um, government jobs or jobs in those other related um, sectors. And the the differences there are are even worse than the difference between nonprofit and for profit, uh, because government, education, healthcare are you know, the higher paid jobs in our um, in our economy. Uh, so that's where we should be looking for uh, for equity uh, is in that comparison. I believe.
0: Awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. And. For anyone listening, I know you had talked about where to find the King County nonprofit wage and Benefits survey report. Um, but you know, I'm right on your website right now, so I'll just mention that it's simply 501commons.org. That's 501commons.org. Nancy, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any other ways that you know people can 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 get involved or suggestions you have? <laughs>
1: We're also um, just about to release an a, uh, employee engagement survey that we did at the same time uh, last year. And that those results will also be on that same page, putting people first. Uh, and I think that will be important and interesting to people as well. Um, while this again represents King County organizations, I suspect it pretty um, accurately reflects uh, nonprofit employees across the country. Um, those results are incredibly inspirational in Mm. that people showed a very high level of satisfaction when it comes to the belief that they're doing important work and that their work is making a difference in the community. They're very, you know, signed up for um, the mission of their organizations. And um, I think, you know, during COVID, even though those missions often had to shift significantly in both what organizations were doing and and how they were doing it, that there was an enthusiasm and kind of a re-energizing of people with the importance of their work. The dissatisfaction points are no surprise what we've just been talking about, which is nonprofit wages and compensation and some practices in nonprofits about how those issues are handled uh, within nonprofits. So I recommend that to your listeners uh, as well. There is no financial stability in an organization that cannot maintain its staff and maintain a long tenure with its staff, because having tenured employees that really know their job and know the community well and, you know, going deep into um, the ways that their services can make a difference is ultimately what's going to give an organization financial viability and organizational viability. So um, well we said. To to well
0: them. said. Now we have yeah, to- I, I got to tell you, I really appreciate that. I've never had a spoken with anyone or had a guest on that has uh, kind of on the air off there, honed in on that as the financial stability piece. And it's so true. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. Nancy, thank you so much for being a friend and for coming on this episode.
1: Well, it was my it was my pleasure. I welcome any contact from people who are interested and fired up on these issues and all, you know, ideas that people have about how we can make um, significant structural changes happen in our sector. And I appreciate so much what you're doing, Steve, and what Charity Charge is doing, because it's a part of that uh, leveling the ground for how nonprofits um, have to um have to operate in a, a way to create greater viability for uh, for organizations uh, if they take advantage of the services that you offer and the uh, program that you offer. So thank you for having me today.
0: The feeling is mutual. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I will wrap up this episode. Thanks again for everyone who's been uh, listening and joining along our journey here at Charity Charge with the podcast. Take care until next episode.